Recently, I was on my phone, I was logging into my bank account, and a message popped up from the bank that there had been a breach in their security, and that many of their customers' passcodes and, and routes into their account had been compromised. And so, of course, you know what happens. They suggest that you immediately change your password as soon as possible and update how it is that you get into your account. Well, what was disturbing to me was that just prior to that message popping up, I had gotten into my account, but I had not entered a passcode. I had just used the, the face ID, and I just used the facial recognition. So I'm cracking up thinking my bank is asking me to change or alter the way my face looks, right? <laughs> Which is something that my wife has been hoping and praying for for many years. But the serious reality of, of living in the digital age is the fact that identity theft is pervasive. In fact, in 2020, there were over 1.4 million reports of identity theft in the U.S. with losses exceeding $3.3 billion. And yet beyond the financial losses, identity theft can also lead to emotional anxiety and long-lasting consequences for victims. And many of you know what that feels like. And your identity goes beyond just protecting what you have, but it's more importantly protecting who you are. And God knows how it feels to have someone steal your identity. The Bible tells us that Satan has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is his agenda. And we've seen this identity theft of God engineered by Satan and embraced by a culture in, in recent decades. It seems that our culture has been attempting to steal or to do whatever it can to discredit the one who spoke the universe into existence and in whose image we were created. And we've allowed God to be the victim of identity theft. I mean, think about it. When, when something bad happens, like a, a natural disaster happens, an earthquake, a, a hurricane, a wildfire that causes tons of, of damage, destruction or devastation, your insurance documents and my insurance documents refer to it as an act of, and yet the Bible says that God is a giver of every good and perfect gift. And so who is this God and what is he like? Well, some people call him a, a prosperity God. You know, well, uh, if I do this, then he's going to bless me with, with all of that. Some see him as a universalistic God where, well, you know, all paths lead to the same place. doesn't really matter what you believe. And all gods are equal. There's not one that's better than another God. Some people kind of promote God like a, uh, a Burger King God. Have it your way. You kind of fashion God into whatever you, you want him to be. But God didn't come to cook you a burger. He, he came to transform your life. And that's, that's why God took the form of flesh and came in the form of Jesus Christ to earth to show us our need for a Savior. Now, as we dive into this series, I want you to discover a very true picture and understanding of the character of God. Uh, did you, you know that there's a verse in which Parts of it appear over 20 different times in Scripture. Now, I guess God wanted to make certain that we had a very accurate understanding of who he is. 
And the verse is found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So for each of the next five weeks, we're going to look at an attribute of God. And I've highlighted, you can see them right there within this scripture, the the five that we're going to look at. We're calling this series, The Character of God. And when you think of God, what, what attribute would you start with? I mean, what is his predominant characteristic? And yet, according to this passage, the place that God starts his own biography is with the word compassion. And so today, that's where we're going to begin. We're going to take a look at at the compassion of God. And we would be wise to start with, okay, what's the definition of compassion? It's interesting, this Hebrew word, compassion, that you saw there has also the same root word where we get the word womb. This kind of compassion is fiercely defensive of the object of its love and very protective And while compassion and love are related, they are both different and distinct from one another. Love is a deep feeling of affection and attachment toward someone, while compassion is a deep feeling of sympathy and empathy for others, particularly when they are suffering or facing a challenge or going through a difficult season. And it involves recognizing and sharing in someone's pain, walking a mile in their shoes. Where love is broader, it can encompass a a range of feelings, including affection and care and attachment and passion. Let me define the the concept of compassion for you through a story. One day back when I was in high school, I used to play a lot of pickup basketball, and I'd go to the park, and I just would hang out, and there's a park near my house, and I'd play basketball. One, One afternoon, there were two guys from my high school, they were brothers, and they were in the same pickup game that I was playing in. Now, the older brother was, to be honest, he was kind of a jerk, all right? He was very vulgar and kind of a smart aleck kind of guy. And the younger brother, it was a, he was a buddy of mine, and we, we, we were friends. But we're playing this pickup game of basketball, and these two brothers are on opposing teams, and they're trash-talking with each other, you know, trying to establish their turf, just like any brothers would do. But after we'd been playing for some time, the younger brother, all of a sudden, he just kind of stopped and and just started to falter a little bit. And uh, his eyes kind of rolled back a little bit, and he slumped to the ground, and he just started convulsing and shaking. I'd, I'd never seen an epileptic seizure. And his brother immediately got over to him grabbed a hold of him, kind of held him down by the ground, protected his head from from hitting the concrete. And here were all of us wide-eyed teenagers in shock and in silence trying to get our arms around what was, was happening. And he shook for a while, and then he just kind of passed out. And I saw this older brother take his shirt and wipe the residue from his brother's mouth. And then he looked up at us and he said, hey, he said, uh, in just a minute, he's going to come to. He said, I think it would be good if you all weren't just standing here staring at him when he comes to. He said, maybe you guys could go to the other end of the court and just be shooting around so he doesn't feel like everybody's staring at him. 
I'll never forget the picture in my mind of this guy just cradling his brother's head to protect him. That's a picture of what compassion is. It's this specific aspect of love. It's focused on empathy and concern for another's well-being, especially during challenging times. And what I want to do today is I just want to divide this message into two very simple statements. Here's the first one. God has compassion for you. I don't want you to miss that. It might sound obvious, but maybe you need to hear it. God has compassion for you. In Psalm 103, verse 13, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And that's a good picture for us, right, of a healthy parental love. Your kid drops a pass that would have won the game, and immediately on the drive home, your compassion kicks in. And you say, hey, you know what, let's, let's stop and get some ice cream. Or your daughter doesn't get the award that you feel like she deserves, and she felt like she deserved and you just kind of reassure her of her enduring value, whether or not she won the award or not. Your 16-year-old wrecks the car, and you stress that they are more important than any car. And a heart of compassion comes out when, when someone is hurting or they are suffering. Remember that root word of, of compassion is the same as, as womb. And in Isaiah, the father is specifically compared to a nursing mother. The, the father's compassion, God's compassion is compared to a nursing mother. Get this, in Isaiah 49, verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. God's speaking here. Yet I will not forget you. I won't forget you. God's compassion is compared in Psalms with a loving father and now here in Isaiah to a nursing mother. You know, moms, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on this, but an infant doesn't say to itself, hey, it's 4 a.m. and mommy is so tired, I think I'll skip a meal and let her sleep. <laughs> I've, I've heard about this thing called intermittent fasting. <laughs> Maybe I should try out this latest craze and just endure the hunger pang so that she can get a good night's sleep. No, it doesn't work that way at all, right, moms? When, when they are hungry... They cry until they get what they want. And a compassionate mom has sympathy and empathy and puts their own sleep on hold for the sake of the baby. As I was writing this message, I, I, I thought back to something that happened when I was a really little kid. And I've tried to repress it, and you'll understand why in a minute. But it actually was a time when my family showed me just unbelievable compassion. I was a little kid. We were at this Christian family conference. My brother and I were in a session with uh, other elementary kids. I was a little elementary kid student, and uh, ev evidently I had had a lot to drink at dinner that night, and evidently I was trying to wait until the service ended to visit the bathroom, and uh, I did not succeed in that endeavor. And so I am surrounded by hundreds of elementary school peers as there I sat in a, a puddle of humiliation. And uh, to make matters worse, I was wearing light gray pants. And so I, I leaned over to my older brother and I just said, uh, hey, Jeff, uh, I said, I, I just had an accident. And I think he was in like the 
fourth or fifth grade, and, you know, so he looks over and busts out laughing, you know, I mean, what's he going to do, right? Cracking up, and, but then to his credit, he said, hey, just, just, just wait a second, and he waited for somebody to pray on stage, and when they prayed, while everybody's eyes were closed, he said, come with me. We found a bathroom. He stuck me in the bathroom. He said, I'm going to go find mom and dad. Well, they were in an arena with thousands of people. I'm like, oh, this is not going to end well. So here I am. I'm frightened. I'm embarrassed. I'm wet. I'm hiding inside of some stall in this public bathroom at a convention center. Well, he brings my dad back to the hiding place just like five minutes later. And my dad just quickly lays out this strategy. He's got it all figured out. We have to go all the way around this convention center on this big hallway to the exit where we can walk across the street to our hotel. And so dad has his plan. And it involved him walking directly in front of me and me following directly behind him. It was like synchronized walking together, all right? And flanking him on either side serving as additional blockers were my mom and my brother. And I mean, if you could have seen us, we walk with the precision of, a, of an excellent marching band, okay? And we, we walked around that entire place, and we were so close together and in such sync that as we would walk around, people would just look at us and say, oh, look at the Stone family. They're so close-knit, you know? And my brother's like, we're not close-knit. My brother just, hey, 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 watch it there, all right? And so they would take us all the way around and they would lead and they would block. We got to the hotel, we opened up the hotel room, we laughed our heads off, it became a story that they really enjoyed sharing. Uh, <laughs> but looking back, I was grateful that, that my family had my back and my front. Uh, <laughs> but I had never experienced such a high level of display of compassion from others, especially from my brother. <laughs> like I did that day. He saw someone suffering and embarrassed, but instead of heaping on the guilt of ridicule, which he could have done, he showed compassion. He gave me undeserved anonymity when he could have given me unwanted attention. I wish we could see just how much. We only see a fraction of how much compassion our Heavenly Father has for us. Jesus told a story about the Father's compassion. I bet you've heard of it. It's found in Luke chapter 15. Father has two sons. Younger brother brashly and arrogantly says, hey, give me my share of the inheritance. And the Bible says that he took the inheritance. The father graciously gave it to him. And the boy took this and he went out and the Bible says that he, he spent it on wild and riotous living. We don't know what he did, but he, he, he got a little bit crazy. He partied like there was no tomorrow. However, his money ran out soon, and then a severe famine came on the land, and he found himself with a job of feeding pigs. And that often happens when young men go hog wild. You end up with a, a job that stinks. And it says that he was so hungry that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that he was giving to the pigs. And then in his mind says, you know what? My father's slaves and servants have it much better than I have. And the scripture says, when he came to his senses, it's another way of saying that he repented. And I love that phrase, came to his senses. It is never sensible to be away from your heavenly father. 
Evidently, his father was on the lookout for him. You get this impression that he's always on the lookout, scanning the horizon, waiting for the return of his son. And that's the way God the Father is. He's always on the lookout for the lost, looking for the return of the wayward. Now, at this stage, when he starts coming back home, he doesn't know what the response is going to be. He doesn't know how his dad is going to react. He's coming home in desperation, and there are all sorts of thoughts swimming through his mind. So he's got this memorized speech. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your slaves. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your slaves. I wonder how many times he rehearsed that speech. He comes over the final hill, and all of a sudden, as he moves closer, his dad sees him in the distance. And his dad starts running toward him. Now, hey, I don't know about you, but if I had squandered my father's wealth on a wild and riotous living, and I saw my dad running toward me, I would go the other direction, okay? But evidently, he, he knew something about the compassion and the character of his father. And we miss out on the impact of his dad running of this mobile display of compassion. Back then, it was against Jewish tradition for a Jewish man to run in public. It was unbecoming for the man of the house. It was unbecoming for the patriarch of the family. It was beneath the dignity and decorum of the day for him to run. Verse 20. The father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. I think the young son is so caught off guard, his dad runs up to him and puts him in this big bear hug, and the kid is going, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your slaves. I don't think the dad even heard it. I don't think he ever heard the speech that the kid said because he was too busy celebrating. That kiss is a sign of welcome. The amazing thing is that this is the only time in all the scriptures that we ever see God represented as running. The only time that God is in a hurry is when he is running to someone as they return home to the fold. And the dad says, hey, Kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a feast like we've never had before. Bring out a robe. Bring out a a ring for him. Bring out some some sandals for him. Because his son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. That's the compassion of our Heavenly Father. Compassion is helping someone in need in a dire circumstance in a season of suffering. And in Jesus' story, the recipient of compassion on that day was this son. Why? Why? Well, because he was totally broken. And he turned to his father. And that's when God does his best work. Is when you return to him and you have that right relationship. God the father models compassion. But so does Jesus the son. I mean, he he models it at every turn. I, I, I had so many different scriptures that we could look at. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew chapter 14 verse 14. Jesus comes across the Sea of Galilee. It says when Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. He healed the sick. Matthew chapter 20 verse 34. Jesus had compassion on them. This is some some 
blind people. And he touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. On and on throughout the Gospels, we see the compassion of Christ. Can you think of a time in your life when God ran to you? A time in your life when in his compassion, he ran to your rescue. He comforted you in your grief. He sent a Christian friend when you just were ready to give up. God has compassion for you. Don't forget that. But here's the second sentence I want you to have. Since God has compassion for you, you should show compassion for others. One of the best examples of compassion is another well-known parable that Jesus told. You probably know it too. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's this time where Jesus is asked this question by this wealthy leader in the audience. He says, who is my neighbor to Jesus? And Jesus launches into this story. And you know the story. It's Jesus saying there was a Jewish man. He was on his way from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And while he was on the road, something happened. He, he, he got attacked by robbers. They took his money. They took his belongings. They took his clothing. And they beat him up. And they left him to die there in the broiling sun. And uh, the Bible tells us that <laughs> a priest walks by. I mean, that's a religious leader. Praise the Lord. Good. He's going to save the day. He's going to intervene. He acts like he doesn't see him. And he looks the other way. And he got too many important things to do. And then a Levite, another respected leader, comes by. He doesn't do squat either. But Jesus says this. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So the other guys didn't see the man. They acted like they didn't see him. But this Samaritan, who was the worst enemy of a Jew, they had this deep prejudice. They couldn't stand one another. Jesus tells a story to a Jewish audience, and he says, hey, this Samaritan man, he sees him and he takes pity on him. A better translation for the word pity here is compassion. He doesn't ignore what's right in front of him. He took pity on him. Compassion. By the way, this word is actually only used in scripture to describe how Jesus interacted with people. It's like the Mac Daddy of the term. It's this deep response where something shifts inside of you. It's tough for us even to comprehend what's taking place here. Jesus says this Samaritan man went to incredible lengths to show compassion. He dismounts from his, his donkey and he goes over to him. What's significant about that? Hey, you can't show compassion from a distance. And after taking care of his wounds, he takes him to an inn. He pays for his lodging. He pays for his care. He says, you know what? When I come back in town, if, if, if I need to pay you more money, he's need to stay longer, you just let me know and I'll pay it. In the Bible, we're, we're told to show compassion like that. And Jesus modeled that compassion for us. Here's another way to define compassion. Compassion is when your pain lives in my heart. That's Compassion. Never underestimate the lasting impact that an act of compassion can have upon someone. When the Holy Spirit prompts us and guides us to get involved, to show the compassion of Christ to others, 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So look for those opportunities to be Christ's hands and feet, to show compassion. Compassion will always require a risk and a reach, but you will be rewarded as a result. You've heard me say before, if you've come to CCV for very long, you've heard me say that sometimes I, I start my day by just praying a simple prayer, Lord, will you just intersect my path with someone today that I can spiritually encourage, that I can show the love of Christ, that I can help move a little bit closer in their relationship with you or into a relationship with you. I prayed that prayer a few years ago one morning. I headed out of town about an hour away to work on a sermon series. Sometimes I just kind of go away from home and try to get off by myself. And I'd been working on this sermon series throughout the day. Took a late lunch and I went to a diner that was in this small town. And while I was there, I noticed a mom and two little kids and she seemed kind of preoccupied looking out the window the whole time to an auto mechanics place that was right off to the side. And at one point she said to the waitress, she said, thanks so much for letting us hang out here. She said, I, I hope my truck will be fixed real soon. So when I was done eating, I just kind of wandered over and I said, hey, I said, is everything all right? And she said, yeah, yeah. She said, we're, we're, we're moving from uh, Ohio to Texas and uh, my truck's broken down, but they're, they're fixing it. I, th I think everything's good. I said, okay, well, uh, well, have a good day. And I, uh, I went to my car. Have you ever wished that you would have done something? You ever look back with regret and just wish that you would have said something? I thought, you know, that is, that is really pretty lame to say, hey, have a good day. And so I just kind of felt this Holy Spirit prompting, I gotta do something. And I, I keep a $100 bill in my backpack. And a few years ago, my wife and I, we, we had business cards printed up for us that have uh, her cell phone number, have my cell phone number, and we just put on there, hey, if you, if you ever need anything or if you're new to town or if you have a prayer request, just reach out to us. And so I found the $100 bill and I got that card and I went back inside and she wasn't there. Her kids were playing on a, a, a video game, but, but she wasn't there. But I noticed she had her purse on the table. So I just put the, the bill over there and, and my card right, right there beside her purse and left. A few minutes later, I got a phone call, and, and uh, it was a female talking on the other end. She said, hey, is this Dave from the diner? And I said, yeah, this is Diner Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. So I said, yeah, this is Diner Dave. And she said, why did you do that? I said, well, I'm a Christian. And I said, I, I just really felt like God wanted me to do that. I said, I overheard you were saying that you're on the road. Obviously, you're having a rough, rough day. And she just started crying. In the next two days, our family got to do a lot of different things with them. I got my wife involved on the phone pretty early on, and she started talking to Nettie. And on the second day, uh, they were going to start heading to Texas. She was going to drive by herself. The weather was bad. And uh, my wife said, hey, why don't you just come and stay at our house? Just stay with us. You don't need to stay at a hotel. 
So they came to our house, and so my wife and my daughter, we all got to just kind of love on them. It was a night we'll never forget. We had hot chocolate. We laughed. We told stories. It was snowing outside. It was a, just, a, just a fun night. We got to pray with them. It was just incredible. And I headed off to bed a little earlier than my wife, Beth, who was talking to Nettie. But when Beth came to bed, she said, uh, you need to know the rest of the story of what happened at the diner that Nettie told me. I said, well, what's, what's that? She said, Nettie told me she was at the end of her rope. She didn't know what to do. After she started her drive from Ohio to Texas, she was about 100 miles into the trip, she learned that her ex-boyfriend had cut off their joint credit card. So she couldn't use that for the trip. She had no place to stay. She had no money. And Nettie told Beth, she said, so I put a quarter in the video game for the kids. She said, I went into the bathroom at the diner. I locked the door. She said, I got down on my knees. I said, okay, God, if you're up there, you're going to have to show yourself because I've got absolutely no cash. I have no credit card. I've got a broken down truck. I can't do this as a single mom, hundreds of miles away from any family members. I, I need to know that you're there for me. I need to know that you care. Nettie said she got up and she wiped her tears away. She unlocked the door and she walked back to the table. And that's when she found that money. That was several years ago. Of course, they've become good friends of ours. We stay in touch with them. We send text messages. We send videos from our family. They send videos of their kids. Do you realize what our family would have missed? You know, it's really easy for for preachers to kind of cherry pick the stories that they want to tell to a church so that you will think good things about them and to isolate, uh, you know, oh, when did I do something that showed compassion? And then to kind of pull that story out. But as I tell you that story, it makes me wonder how many times I failed to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit And I wonder how many Nettie's I've overlooked and I've walked on the other side of the street and I've just looked the other way because of my lack of compassion or because of my apathy or an unwillingness to risk and to reach. And when I don't do that, we both miss out on the blessing. And what started in a diner as compassion quickly in the next couple of days grew into love. Our family loves her family. Her family loves our family. So I was working on this message. I, I just looked back at some things on our text trail. And I came across a text from just a few months ago that she wrote. She said, those two days were a testimony of how great our Lord is. See, that's the goal of our compassion, is that his name becomes famous that people catch a glimpse of Jesus. Your act of compassion may be a display of God the Father running across a field and giving them an embrace. But let me just remind you of how we started this message. 
And that is that God has compassion for you. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a compassionate love. I mean, it fits to the definition that we've been working with, right? You talk about a challenge or a season of suffering. I mean, we couldn't get to heaven on our own. And so God intervenes through his compassion. And when we were powerless, that's every single one of us, when we were powerless because of our sin, you talk about compassion, God allows his son to leave earth and he did it for you and we were hopeless there was no way out it's not something in our past it's something in our present and yet even though we were still sinners Christ died for us when we were running the opposite direction our heavenly father ran to us so God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us. That's compassion. Let's pray. Father, you have modeled for us compassion in so many different ways. Through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit prompting people to come alongside of us when we're going through tough times. Through God the Father, through what you do, the way you care for us in our hurts and in our pain. Lord, would you help us just to pray that prayer and say, Lord, today will you intersect my path with someone in need, someone who I can spiritually encourage, someone who I can bring closer in a a walk with you. And then, Lord, when you cross our paths with them, will you help us to follow through, not to walk by on the other side of the street, but to get down off our donkey and get involved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you.